Greetings programs, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie by minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 18, I'm your host Duncan Shields, and with me today is my steadfast, stoic, occasionally zany, solid as a rock guest co-host Jack Stobold. Welcome Jack. Kapta! <laughs> what was that? That's uh... It's a quote from this minute. I'll talk about it. Okay, cool. Right on. And um, Glad to be here. All right. What happens in this minute? Uh, Alan and Dr. Laura Baines head into Flynn's Arcade. That's about all that goes on in this one. Yeah. Not a whole lot happening, but it's delightful. It's still really nice. Before, when Dr. Laura Baines said not to put any change in the meter, I was wrong. It wasn't because she thought they'd only be there for a small amount of time. It's because she wanted to save the quarters for video games. Oh. (laughs) Which I just was like, oh, awesome. Girl after my own heart. Yeah, she's so cool. I was like, oh, I'm I'm swooning a little bit. That's nice. And I, I love that they gave, I love that they gave lines like that to her and like not to Alan. You know, like in this one, Alan's the reluctant, pouty, emotional, slightly creepy, wet blanket. And she's (laughs) the go-getter who's putting pieces together and having fun. You know, it's nice because when we talk about 80s dramas, yeah, I don't know, quite often it was the reverse, right? Yeah, and she's the one who can have a healthy relationship with her ex without it being like the freaking end of the world. Word. Excellent point. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, who cares, man? Yeah, we dated. Big deal. Yeah. We're still like, friends. Deal with it, dude. <laughs> yeah. As they enter into the uh, into the arcade, Only Solutions by Journey is playing loudly yes. in the arcade. <laughs> now, I did a, a bit of a, a dive on uh, Journey. It was in the, the book The Making of Tron by William Calais, a very, very good resource for, for a lot of the points in this uh, in this podcast. But it's one of the only two Journey songs that are on the Tron soundtrack. And I'm not entirely sure why they're there at all. Because I'm like, they really don't fit the movie. Because it's, it's the 80s, is Journey. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Like, there was a pressure to have a hit theme it's song. Popular, popular band. Let's put them in there. They're a popular band. And they, they wanted to have a, a hit theme song so they could push record sales. Yeah, and because Dis- Disney had a history of making hit songs like uh, "Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf" and "It's a Small World," but they were in unfamiliar territory with this because they'd done some pop-influenced movies and songs before. But that was like with Annette Funicello back at back in the day, and like right. Beach Blanket Bingo and stuff like that. So late 1981, they had Van Halen, Sticks. Ario Speedwagon, like the Jay Giles band, the Go Go's, Foreigner, the Police, uh, they're all great bands. And apparently, Disney even reached out to Pete Townsend to make a song, which would have been pretty cool. Was this song, this Journey song, was this specifically made for this movie? It sure was. Yeah, I did this not one know and, that. And the other one, because this is just yeah. like one of those Journey songs. I'm like, ah, oh, it's just a, it's a Journey song. I had no idea that tron was the impetus for it yeah i had assumed it was just a existing journey song that they just put into tron 
yeah they just yoinked for the for for the name and put into the movie but that's not yeah that's not the way that's not the way it went down that's funny michael michael yeah michael fremer the sound supervisor for tron really wanted the police to do the songs on the tron soundtrack as uh, as well as the stellar work by wendy carlos but he wanted he wanted tracks from the police there Oh, I want to hear those police Tron songs. <laughs> I want to sidestep to the dimension where that soundtrack I came out for sure. They just they just put out Ghost in the Machine. Yeah, which is like, can you think of anything more appropriate for the Tron soundtrack? Yeah, totally. Like, that, that sounds that's... like this sounds like it's from the Tron soundtrack. Yeah, that's funny because I just happened to be on one of my periodic sting kicks right now. So, oh, good, <laughs> but. Yeah, there's some great stuff there. But yeah, That's Ghost, Ghost in the Machine, that is Tron. That's exactly what this entire movie is. Yeah, but they were, uh, the soundtrack for Tron was coming out on CBS, which cut the police out of the picture because they were contracted to A&M. Okay. Yeah, which is too bad. So CBS, though, had like Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, and Journey. So that was their uh, that was sort of their pool of choice for that, and Michael Fremer was not a Journey fan. He wasn't into it, <laughs> but the power the powers that be were really pushing Journey on him, and he wanted like a skateboard kind of vibe, like a young rebel kind of sound. Yeah, which not is a big not Journey. No, he didn't want power ballads. You know, he yeah. didn't want the big the big power ballad stuff. But um, in the end, he said, okay. You know, and he, if he has to use them, he'll use them. Like I love any way you want it. I love "Don't Stop Believing." Like they're still making money off those songs, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, Journey's Journey's che- cheesy, but I love the hits. You know, they're yeah, they're great. You can't, hits. You can't argue like, with them. And, they're the fun to listen to. And yeah, and Fremer met met with Journey and agreed that they should only do two songs. Interestingly enough, only only solutions. The song that's playing here is a little bit policey because the lead singer is singing in a bit of a higher register than he usually does. He's trying yeah. to get a bit of a policey sound, which is why it's, it's just why it wasn't really popular because it doesn't sound like Journey. It's Journey doing a non-Journey song that yeah. still doesn't fit in the movie. Yeah, it is kind of a higher register than they're usually singing it. Steve Steve Perry, it works, right? It, this is Steve Perry. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it's Steve Perry. Hmm. It makes sense to use it here as like playing over the loudspeakers in the uh, in yeah, the arcade. Yeah, I mean, I can good... I can imagine this in an arcade. Yeah, it sounds like of the era radio hit. Yeah, playing it's, it's, playing it's, in the arcade. It's as appropriate to this era as the kid with the like rainbow headband on and the <laughs> no he's coming up later i can't wait for that kid oh <laughs> he's just the best oh he's the best uh it's like he walked right off a trophy or something it's, uh, he's yeah, just, exactly he's perfect <laughs> yeah so only solutions is playing and then in the other one there's a song that the other song they did was called 1990s theme and it's used in the closing credits yeah i see that in the so credits. that was where they got it 1990s theme and that really slighted Wendy Carlos because she'd written a huge orchestral score for the closing credits. But yeah, which cut a chunk out of it. Yeah, it's on the it's on the soundtrack, like her whole entire like Tron symphonic arrangement yeah. is on the soundtrack. Yeah, it's on. Yeah, but it's not in the it's movie. It just cuts out. Yeah, and Carlos felt like it was exit movie. Uh, she said it was it's like exit music for a restaurant. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, like she really <laughs> wasn't kind. Yeah. But and also the, the journey songs were introduced at the very end when the mixing was almost all done. And so uh Ellen Shaw, the one of the major players in the Tron movie, was like, forget it, we can't just drop in songs this late in the day. But Disney's music division head, Gary Kreisel, came down to Ellen Shaw's office and apparently they went at it in front of the whole office. They had a big fight. And Ellen Ellen Shaw eventually capitulated after talking to Steven Lisberger, the director, and everyone was unhappy with the compromise. Journey didn't like being stuck in the arcade scene and the end credits. Carlson didn't like her music being cut. And Ellen Shaw was just trying to get a film finished for release. And then in the end, the album sales didn't even do jack they didn't do anything they didn't sell any uh yeah they didn't sell any uh they didn't sell sell any soundtrack copies off the back of that hit and journey is not remembered by their definitive song only solutions from the tron soundtrack so <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a lose-lose for everybody involved yeah. in terms yeah. of including journey on the soundtrack whoever wins we lose yeah that's right <laughs> that's right i don't know it's funny to think about all this drama surrounding Tron. It's like that for uh, every movie, though, you know? Yeah, it's just just hundreds of people. Yeah, hundreds of people, uh, egos, money, decisions that are being made at levels that have almost nothing to do with movie making, you know? And uh, you hear about alternate cast choices that they almost went with. You know, like this one, Peter O'Toole was nearly Tron, and... uh, Debbie Harry and Michelle Pfeiffer were almost uh, Dr. Laura Baines. Really? You know, like, yeah, as all these, these the what could have been when was there a, made. Was there any uh, alternate, possible alternate casting for David Warner? Because I just wanted to say I am here for any movie where David Warner plays three roles. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Because <laughs> I love David Warner so much. As a, as a, as a Star Trek and Batman guy, like David Warner is great. what? Uh, what did he do in Batman again? I forget. He's in Batman the Animated Series. He is Rachel Ghoul, and that's like my definitive version of that character. Like, yeah, that's really really good. He well, he also he played three roles in a movie called Quest for the Delta Knights. Okay, so he's done this twice then. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's apparently an awful movie. The Mystery Science Theater three thousand did it, did a riff on it. But he plays three roles in that one. Too. Nice. Yeah, I wonder how many actors have played three roles twice in a movie. He's got to be one of the few. Yeah, yeah, one of the few. That's the, that's a pretty select group of actors, I imagine. Yeah. So Dr. Uh, Laura Bain says, Boy, I haven't been here in a long time as they walk in. And we get a guy going past in the foreground, clearly on a bicycle, but there's a motorcycle sound effect. So I don't know <laughs> what that's about. And then there's a guy. Uh, there's a guy trying to pick up a, a girl out front of the of the. Well, he's, he's doing the the arm lean above her as she yes. leans back against a pillar, and he's looking very uh, upstairs. Larry from Three's Company. He's got kind of a, a pattern a pattern shirt on, and he's being kind of apparently a little a little forward, shall we say? And we get a sweet crane shot up the entire arcade building. There's a window open and a woman is leaning out and she yells, "Hey, Barbie, up here!" I know. Uh, before we uh, before we settle on the giant billboard at the top saying "Home of Space Paranoids," featuring the now familiar shape of a recognizer being shot by the chevron bullets of a tank. Is that what they're called, recognizers? 
yeah the big uh the big guys with the pincers that float around the with arch the helicopter humble like the tie fighters yeah. of this movie that's how i always think yeah of the, that's right the tie fighters of this movie yeah they're called recognizers yeah yeah i always love those those were so on these minutes i didn't get to actually go into the program but that's the closest we get the space paranoids yeah. which is the name of the game yeah you get you're so close in this one mm-hmm. minute like cause minute 19 has the actual game yeah light cycles but that's like as i've mentioned before that uh the cool thing about the recognizer is that in this entire convoluted confusing journey that tron took journey. from concept to execution the journey as it were <laughs> Uh, they, um, the recognizer is the only thing that never changed. Oh, really? Okay. The first sketch of it is the same as what's in the movie. Awesome. <laughs> no. I guess those, uh, those lines. Are... I love them. They're, they're just ominous. Yeah. Yeah. They're cool. I love it. They're mon- they're monolithic. Yeah. And they're ominous and they just, yeah, they're, they're threatening. Mm-hmm. It's the big pincers on the bottom, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we also get the Japanese guy playing a game saying, Kata. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to have to watch that again. Jeez, I've watched this minute a whole bunch of times. I didn't recognize that one. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, I might be just imagining it, but I watched it like three times, and it's... Yeah. He's playing... It, I thought it was air hockey, but it's not. It's some other game. There's like a woman with him who walks away, and he's... He's oh, like, with the Pepsi on the Pepsi on the table or whatever? Maybe, yeah. And he's like, kata, which means I won. Just gonna fire it up here and see if Oh, he's laughing. I see I see him laughing, but I don't hear a hata, but it could be. He's there's there's a couple there's a couple playing it uh yeah, he's got a rollerball kind of a thing yeah, going yeah. on and he's and he's laughing. I'm not quite sure what he's playing. Maybe it's Ooh. uh missile command or something. Top yeah. down missile command. Ooh, rollerball. Is anyone doing rollerball minute? word right i don't think anybody has and that would be a really really good one to do a movies by minute that's a fantastic film and that's got some timeless themes in it too of like commerce versus sports and business and stuff like that yeah and then we get a shot of the interior of flynn's yes and there's a there's a white-haired woman in a white suit and her like refrigerator salesman husband wandering around and they have to be at least 70 years old and they really they really stand out i think (laughs) i think they were trying to they're trying to make it seem like everybody goes. Everybody, here. everybody yeah. loves plans. They have bingo nights on Thursdays. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just do appreciate this minute because um, you know I remember arcades. They're dying. Yeah, um, but yeah, me too. There's some arcades that keep trying. There's an arcade here where I live that just opened up, and they do like by the hour. Like all the all the games are free play. And then you just you pay per hour and you go in and play. Yeah, the arcade I remember going to the most was similar. It was called Nickel City. Nickel City. Yeah, I, I think it was a chain, and it's like every oh, game's a, a okay. every game's a nickel. Every game's a nickel. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you just you just go in there. You like give them like ten dollars, and they just give you like bags of nickels, and you could play for hours. And they had games from all eras. It was a great time. My childhood arcade was called Wizard's Castle. Yeah. Which is a, I think that's a pretty good name for an arcade. Mm-hmm. What was the one in Stranger Things? What was their, their arcade? Oh, yeah. Name? What was it? Uh, it was a really sweet name. It was a sweet name for it. Yeah. I don't remember. But 
Oh, there's things. one in Portland. There's there's one in Portland called Ground Control, which I think is a good name for. Uh... I've been to Ground Control. Oh yeah. My brother lived in Portland for a while, and I went to Ground Control. It was great. Nice. I want to go down to Portland to just because I think there's a few arcades down there. I want to go down there and check them out. Yeah, we played. Uh, they had a great Pac-Man table there. Like I wanted. I've always. That's always been my dream is to have like a Pac-Man table in my house. Okay. Like the little cocktail table, the little. Yeah, it's of, like the table where you play. They used to have that at the Round Table Pizza I went to in Southern okay. California. That's a good one. That would. That's a really good cocktail one. I want to get. If I had a cocktail one, I'd probably get uh, Joust. Yeah, they had, they had Joust there as well. It was Joust and Pac-Man, or uh, Miss Pac-Man. Yeah. yeah, Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, I think Miss Pac-Man was maybe slightly as popular, or maybe more popular. Because I see, I saw Miss Pac-Man around a lot more than I saw the original Pac-Man. Yeah, but. You can save the Pac-Man talk for later because there's a yeah, that's right for the sweet, <laughs> sweet cameo. Oh my god, that's for the so sweet cool. Easter egg. I don't even know if I ever noticed that until tonight, but it's like super obvious. I did not see it at the time, and then it got described as an Easter egg. And then when I saw it, I was like, it's like, how, it's like how did how did I never notice this before? Yeah, this is huge. That's massive. That's not an Easter egg. That's really in your that's face. Very blatant. Yeah. But so we and speaking of that, speaking of Pac-Man, we get to see a lot of folks playing a variety of video games uh, and a lot of pinball. Surprisingly, there's a lot of pinball in yeah. the planes. Uh, we see neon signs on the walls for uh, Vice Squad, Code Wars, The End, some other titles, and I think those are the titles of the games that Flynn talks about later that he says he created. And Alan's looking uncomfortable, but Dr. Laura Baines is looking pretty jazzed to be there. Yes. She's loving it. She's There's a, she's how I would feel. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, yeah. I'm like, oh boy, right on. I'm yeah, so glad just, I've got an excuse to come here and visit Flynn. Yeah, but just not even that. It's just the uh, all these ambient sounds. I, yeah. I love these sounds. That Yeah, that wall of noise. These all, all the, the different... Yeah, no, like, all the eighties video game sounds. It's it's like crack to me. It's a time machine. It's a time machine. It's a total time machine. You just hear it and you go back yeah. to there. Yeah, it's fantastic. There's a brass and glass cage, which is I guess where you either check your coat or get quarters, like a money like a money cashing out booth in Vegas or whatever. It's just kind of kind of classy, I thought. Because normally you just have a machine that you'd put the put the bills into and get the quarters. Or there'd be a dude walking around with a quarter change uh, apron on. And uh, Alex, I mean Alan, Alan huffily asks, where is he? And Dr. Laura Baines responds, I don't know, somewhere in here, lost in one of his games. Which is, to me, I'm like, whoa, that's huge Foresh foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I, I, they, I, they must have put that in there intentionally, but I would, never would have noticed if I wasn't doing a movie by minute. Yeah, I, and then one of the, one, I love when we're walking by. One of the kids says, "Use the buzz bomb, you idiot!" <laughs> I didn't hear I that. <laughs> I don't know if that's from one of the games or it didn't. I don't know of any game that had buzz bombs. Maybe uh, Moon Patrol might have, but I don't know. Yeah, Moon Patrol, rare, rare first game, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah, it's just really clear that Alan is not digging being there, but uh 
Dr. Laura Baines is totally having a whale of a time. She's loving yes. it. Yeah. She's like, oh my god, I can't wait till he takes his shirt off. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we come by one of my favorite moments. She stops to ask a kid dressed uh, cosplaying as John McEnroe, uh, the tennis player, <laughs> with uh, gym shorts, a polo shirt, a three-color sweatband, and knee-high, matching knee-high athletic socks, and says, excuse me, champ, do you know where Flynn is? And he says, yeah, he's over there on his machine. And uh, the kid is played either by Rick Feck or John Kenworthy. Uh, they're both credited as boy in video game arcade and this is their only movie credit so i'm not sure uh, which one he is but he's role of a lifetime oh yeah the role of a lifetime you might recognize me from such films as tron (laughs) from such film as tron (laughs) and uh he's he's playing asteroids deluxe asteroids deluxe asteroids deluxe which was released in 1981 by Atari as a sequel to Asteroids. Mostly they changed the saucer hunting patterns that allowed people to play for super long periods of time in Asteroids. And it was much more difficult. Like I think in Asteroids, if you got, if you knew what you were doing, you could just wait for the flying saucer to come in every once in a while and peg it. And then you would get like, you could so just the, sort of play for 23 hours if you wanted to just by so the plus the essentially means plus quarters for us we've made it so that you're pumping yeah, more that's quarters right. into the game yeah it's uh, a lot harder it's so essentially the same it's to... just harder you're going to spend more money on it yeah exactly <laughs> it introduced a, a killer satellite which was a cluster of ships that hunted you and it gave you a shield that depleted with time in lieu of the hyperspace button from the original <laughs> Asteroids game. Remember the the hyperspace button was just a Hail Mary that when you pressed it, you'd just show up somewhere else randomly on the screen. Maybe right in the path of an asteroid, but you didn't know. It was just your uh, wild card. It was worth the risk. It was worth the risk, and uh, it didn't do well. The Asteroids, uh, the Asteroids, what did I call it here? What was it? The Asteroids, Asteroids Deluxe, it didn't do well. Maybe because it was called Deluxe. Deluxe is like, you know, it's a cheeseburger deluxe, asteroids deluxe. I don't know. It's yeah. like if it's a sequel, call it call it something else. But it was followed. They did also Space Duel in 1982, the first and only multiplayer vector game released by Atari. Hmm. And then in 1987, they released Blasteroids, a copy of Asteroids, but with <laughs> raster graphics instead of vector graphics in 1987, which is like... Why would you bother doing that? Why would you release? Because vector graphics—that's the stamp of—that's the stamp of asteroids right there. You need the—you need the vector graphics for it to be asteroids. I think. Yeah, eighty-seven. It's just—that's a little too late at that point. Yeah, I, I could appreciate what they're thinking because a vector graphics game would never sell in eighty-seven. Yeah. But making it with actual. Yeah. That's a that's a post Super Mario Brothers world. Yeah. Everything changed. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing was the same. Uh then they walk off in the direction of Flynn and they walk past I looked at these games, it was hard to find. They walk past a Berserk game, which was uh released in nineteen eighty by Stern Electronics of Chicago. It did really good business. I remember playing it and I liked it. It's one of those 
big 80s games that a lot of people remember. But they also walked past Sprint 2, released in 1976 by Key Games, a wholly owned subsidiary of Atari. And that was, a, that was a fun game with like steering wheels and gas pedals. It was like a little racetrack game. Those were back in the days when you could just name a game Sprint, and that was enough. Yeah. Yeah, that was enough. And that was enough. <laughs> and uh, they also walked by an Atari basketball game released in 1979. One-on-one on, one on one basketball with, uh, with trackballs. Not not too many were released. It didn't do very well. But I guess, I think Atari had some kind of merchandising deal in this movie. So there's a lot of Atari games in Flynn's Arcade. But there's some old ones too. Like that's, that's ones from 1976 and ones from 1979. Like yeah, these no. are not cutting age games No, in Flynn's Arcade. Which kind of makes sense because yeah, he sort it, of talks it, it, about it, how his... It's Flynn. He's like, I want all my games to look great in here. So yeah. All the yeah, that's right. All the all the games not made by me are going to be like oldish. That's right. You can play you can play Space Paranoids, or you can play this Funky Fresh for nineteen seventy four. You know, it's a wilderness sim. It's got is that are those actual cardboard cutouts? Yeah, yeah. It's a great game. Or over here. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense because he talks about it being run down and how he's just trying to squeeze whatever he can out of the place. Yes. But it looks like a hustling, bustling, very successful arcade. So there's a bit of a disconnect happening there. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he's probably making bank from this place. It looks like he's bald. Yeah, there's like <laughs> the insinuation that it might be in the bad part of town, that it's just kind of, you know. But the square footage on that place is huge, and he's yeah. got an apartment there, and it looks like it's just tons of kids in there. So I don't know. Yeah, I, like, yeah, it seems like he's doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, not as well as he would be doing if he of had course, of course. on the games or whatever, but it doesn't look like he's starving for sure. Yeah. Well, although I mean, gives it... to judge that, I'd have to see him without a shirt to see whether he's starving yeah, or not. But... I think that's the only way to really accurately judge how he's doing is to see but him shirtless. That's just a pipe dream. I don't think I'm ever. I don't know. We'll I mean, I hope that, that happens at at some point in the movie. Maybe maybe that happens, but I don't. I don't know if we'll ever get to it's, see it. It seems pretty unlikely. It doesn't seem like there's <laughs> a reason for it to be in this movie, so I doubt it will happen. It, yeah, there's no excuse for it to happen. I don't think it's not like this is a movie about athletes, so it'll probably never happen. But you know, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Keep an eye out on this show. Keep an eye out on the show. Listen to future minutes and see. Uh, See what happens with Flynn and his shirt. Yeah, keep an ear out. Keep an ear. <laughs> yeah, keep an ear out to listen to the rustle as he takes off his shirt. <laughs> that brings us up to the end of this minute, I think. Yeah. There's uh, there's the well, the in the novel to go over the differences between the screenplay and the novel again. In the novel, it mentions yeah, it mentions that Flynn's is in the old part of town. Oh, the which old means part. That it's, oh God. It's the. I, I think that means it's yeah. Nobody wants to go to the old part of town. Give me some of that new part of town. <laughs> take this, take this wine back. What are yeah. you trying to do? Give us all this old wine, uh, which is uh, this building was made over decades ago. No, <laughs> yeah, over some of these buildings are older. They're twenty years old. <laughs> like the, the historic part of Los Angeles. There's a saying that if. Uh, I was in Scotland and a cab driver said to me, you know, the main difference between North Americans and Europeans. And I was like, I, uh, okay, hit me. Sure, buddy. You know, and he says <laughs> yeah. that 
Europeans think that 100 miles is a long distance, and North Americans think that 100 years is a long time. And I was like, oh, that's, that's just really accurate, you know? So we were like, oh, 1950, that was forever ago. But people in Scotland are still like, ah, remember 1066, never forget, you know? But then we try to tell them uh, in Canada, you can drive for eight hours and still be in the same province, and they don't, they just don't compute. They, don't, they just don't understand. They can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. But uh, it mentions that there's neon signs of other, other game titles like NerveNet and Gonzo and Code Wars. Also, Intruder and Zero Hour and Tail Gunner. And they talk of all walks of life being presented in the arcade, both sexes, from high preppy to gang colors and older <laughs> people as well, which explains all the older the older folks in the scene in the movie. And it's mentioned that Alan isn't a very good gamer, and uh, he sees this like you know, Alan's not a good gamer. Doctor Laura Baines is a very good gamer, and he sees a kid doing a great performance as an electronic gunfighter, which may explain the video game cowboy credit on the IMDb page that I can't seem to to place. <laughs> Video. And in the book, she t uh, in the book, Doctor Laura Baines taps the shoulder of a high school cheerleader, not a male junior tennis champion or whatever that kid is. <laughs> and the screenplay mentions Lunar Lander, Star Castle, and Space Invaders. And again, they approach a junior high school girl to ask where Flynn is. And that's one of the things in the script in the novel is that there was a lot of women playing video games in a lot of these scenes. Yeah, like play, I like that. Like, that's like playing, playing, and winning. You know, like yeah. not just playing, but winning. And it wasn't presented as a dude thing, which I really, really appreciate. Like, especially yes. back in, in 1982. You know? Yeah. Like, we... St Some of it got written like, out and changed. This, it's like freaking 35 years later... Some dudes still can't even wrap their mind around that right now. Right? Still can't even begin to get it. It's so sad. <laughs> well, that takes us about to the uh, to the end of this minute. Uh, where can people find more of you if they want to hear more of your dulcet tones? Um, yes. Uh, Reopeningthewormhole.com. Star Trek Deep Space Nine rewatch podcast, which where we just spent an absurd amount of time talking about each DS9 episode and getting drunk and just being a bunch of goofballs. Um, the apecast.libson.com, where I talk about Planet of the Apes with my co host Jeff. That is also everything I'm on is dumb and silly and fun. <laughs> Good. We need more of that in the world. Yeah, yeah, we, we're, the one thing you cannot accuse me of on any of my shows is taking myself too seriously, so, um, yeah, uh, that's even reflected in the title of my next blog, which is Jack's Silly Little Friendly Neighborhood Star Trek Discovery Podcast. Uh, when I'm not talking about Star Trek, I'm doing silly things like getting drunk and yelling about Star Wars movies, or doing a minute-by-minute minute breakdown of Marge versus the Monorail. So. Nice. Uh, but we'll be, I'll be very busy on that next year when we're talking about three seasons of new Star Trek shows. Yeah, no kidding. Gosh. Next year is going to be It's going to be a lot of It's going to be a wild ride for Star Trek fans. I'm curious about all three of them. I don't know what it's what they're going to be like. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be... Even, even Disco is going to be a, a whole new ball wax i think yeah that's right they gotta they gotta do a lot of yeah 
they're in the future. Course man. correction and reimagining. So we'll see how it all turns out. Yeah, they're, in, they're like the year three thousand. It's insane. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, keep an eye out for AkiraMinute.com book market. It's a minute by minute breakdown of Akira. So I'm entering the minute by minute movie game. And outstanding. It's outstanding. exciting and terrifying at the same time. It really is. It really is. In equal measure. Yeah. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Exactly. I will probably derez. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking or send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com. Or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Minute listeners page. Uh, shout out to Pond5.com for, for our, the music for this podcast, for the intro and outro music. And special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on and check out MoviesByMinute.com and see if your favorite movie is there amongst the 140 movies that have been done so far and counting. And if it isn't, get in touch on their uh, what movie makers and listeners page on Facebook and uh, talk to them about doing one yourself because it's a very generous and helpful community. And Duncan, uh, can I just yeah. say, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. And Oh, thanks for being here, Jack. It's been wonderful. All the uh, pain I put you through trying to get on the show. And um, <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, if I can, if, you'd be gracious enough to have me back on because I really want to talk about visually all the cool stuff in this movie. Yeah, I'll have I'll have you back for yeah. an in-grid moment for nice. sure. Nice, okay. So, yeah, that being said, I just, I never mad, I was terrified to talk about these three minutes because I'm like, what am I going to talk about with these three minutes? And we ended up talking <laughs> There's always so something. much, so... That's, that's what I love about the minute-by-minute minute format is yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, nothing happens in this minute. But there's hundreds of people to make a film, so there's always something to talk about. Yeah, so thank you so much for that. And I had a, had a great welcome. time. So, Do you want to try a little end of line on three? Hell yeah. Okay. One, two, three. End, end of, of line. line. <laughs> Perfect.